episode of Lowry After Hours. I'm Anthony, or Ant, at Cyanide One Twitter. Once again, we're joined by one of our favorites and one of our regulars, JT, Jeremy Taché. Thank you for joining us. We're going to talk a little baseball. How are you doing tonight, JT? I'm good. It's good to be back with you guys. I uh, Every time I come back, you guys have done even more impressive things since the last time I saw you. So um, I don't know if I've formally on here said congrats on all the stuff with Blue Wire and everything you guys are doing, but you guys are just killing it. I'm, it's so cool to have watched this from the beginning. It's awesome. Thank you very much. And, and we enjoy watching you and, and all the new <laughs> stuff that you've got going on. And teaser... Jeremy may have something else to talk about a little bit later tonight. Um, yeah, as far as going for him. You're the man. Oh, you guys are the best. I'm ha- yeah. I'm I'm uh to be here right now in the middle of the baseball season. I think the last time I was on with you guys was with June Lee right before the baseball season, or was Correct. that during? Was that last year? God, I've lost track of time of what's what. I was still. I think I wasn't living here. It must have been last baseball season. No, I think um, we got you just before was, you started. You were just, yeah. you were just about to move, or you had just moved yeah. one of the two. It was yeah. something like that. Uh, so, so that would have been probably was, October. So it would have been maybe right at the end of baseball last year. I don't know. Who knows? But either way, there's so much that's happened since. Yeah. Um, and to be here at the All Star break, I mean, it's it's kind of surreal how quick the first half of the baseball season went by, considering. There was only a 60 game season last year. So you would think that this first half would have felt a lot longer, but it's it's really flown by and there's so much that's happened. Yes. Yes. So let's jump right in. I'll give you uh, some moments if you want to topics that you sure. want to talk about or things you want to go on before we go around for questions. Sure. So um, obviously in the last couple of days, there's been quite a bit of conversation, uh, some related to baseball, some sort of jointly related to baseball. I guess I'll, I'll start with the one that was related to baseball, which you and I spoke about um, a bit in the DMs earlier, which was uh, having a conversation about everything that went down with Stephen A. Smith and Shohei Otani and sort of discussing um, language in Major League Baseball and specifically the English language in Major League Baseball. Um, I sent out a whole long Twitter thread and and the irony is that both of the things I'm going to talk about right here, I've already shared my thoughts on Twitter in long Twitter threads, but I I figured why not use your guys' massive platform to, you know, continue to, to, to share some thoughts here. I know I'm just doing a little flattering, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so the big thing, um, and, and if, if somehow any of you don't know what happened, um, Shohei Otani is, is a Asian baseball player who plays here in the United States. He's a superstar, in every sense of the term. Um, and Stephen A. Smith um, on first take basically said that he thinks that Shohei Otani can't necessarily be the star um, of Major League Baseball, the face of Major League Baseball, because he has to speak through an interpreter um, for you know a lot of his post-game press conferences or pre-game pressers. And where I'll start in this is that I think we, a lot of us jumped to the bigger conversation before ever giving Stephen A um, any benefit of the doubt um, in term. Now, like, <laughs> I guess I'm doing some of the skipping of the skipping, which is first of all, what he said was totally abhorrent. Like for me, I was furious with what Stephen A said uh, about Shohei Otani and I was frustrated um, and I will explain why. But what I also want to do is give him singularly 
a little bit of benefit of the doubt in that I actually blame the producers just as much as I blame Stephen A. Um, that was clearly a conversation that came up before the show. There was accompanying video. Um, and for that group of producers to hear that take from Stephen A before the show and not have one of them step in and go, hold on a second, let's flesh this out a little bit because this is a bit problematic. Let's make sure that you make your point the way that you want to, right? Like if there's a point, if there's a point to be made, and I don't really think that there was, but if there's a point to be made, the producer's job is to make sure that that comes out the right way. And it certainly did not. Um, and so where I'll give Stephen A a little benefit of the doubt is the people that are supposed to sort of save him from himself did not do that. Yeah. Uh, you can only be so informed on every topic in the world. I'm exhausted by following three teams. I have to follow three teams in detail and my brain is, I'm exhausted. I can't, I can't remember so much of what I need to all the time. I can't imagine trying to pretend like I know everything about every single sport all of the time. Um, so that's where I'll start on Stephen A. But to get back into what was wrong, um, and, and that's more important here in, in this conversation. When we are otherizing um, in an international game, and by that I mean taking Shohei Otani and, and making him feel like he is less than um, and, and that he can't be the greatest, um, ambassador for the game because he doesn't speak English, which is yes, our country here in America, in some ways, obviously there are other languages that are spoken here in America throughout the whole population, but English is, you know, our general language. And so to say that is just to say that Shohei Otani can't be a superstar in baseball, which is such an international sport where the whole premise of the game is to expand through the whole world where they don't really participate in the Olympics the same way, but the world baseball classic is we focus on with baseball and we focus on all of the differences amongst all of these guys and their backgrounds and their cultures. And then you have a diverse group of Latin American players. You have a diverse group all across Major League Baseball of guys from all sorts of different countries who, yeah, there's you know a conglomerate of Hispanic players, but they have a number of different cultures themselves and ideologies. And, and those are the things we should be exploring, not sort of shying away from. Um, and so to me, what I found so dismissive from Stephen A was essentially saying, because Shohei doesn't perfectly relate to American culture, well, we can't relate to him when the biggest band in the world is BTS, when the biggest artist in the world is Bad Bunny, who doesn't, you know, he speaks English, but he doesn't speak a lot of English. Like he does most of his music's in Spanish. You know what I mean? Like you've got all of these major global superstars. How about think beyond America? How about think bigger, you know, like stop isolating yourself to just America's game. Make yourself a global superstar. And there's nobody who could do so better than Shohei Otani. And so the last thing there is, and and I'll use my personal example, and I've, I've spoken about it here before, but I, I taught English and American culture uh, for the New York Mets at their academy in the Dominican Republic about five years ago. Um, I was so fortunate to be a part of that. And, and the major thing that the guys would come up to me and ask me when I was teaching them English was teach us how to do interviews because they were afraid of the ridicule, not from fans, 
but specifically from the New York Post is actually what they were most concerned about. And I know that'll, that'll get a chuckle, but specifically because the, the summer or the, the winter before Ioannis Cespedes was constantly in the New York Post looking like the bad guy when a lot of the time a language barrier was part of the issue and a cultural barrier was part of the issue. And these guys saw that and they said, teach me how to answer questions in English because I don't want to end up like that. And when that's your fear just coming into the game, how are you supposed to ever be successful? So instead of alienating the greatest talents from around the world and saying, well, you know, you're not perfect at our language yet. How about you give them a chance to succeed? And something that I love is that there are some teams throughout Major League Baseball, like the Miami Marlins in particular, who are having their English speakers take Spanish lessons on top of their Spanish speakers taking English lessons. It should be about the team communicating with each other. It doesn't matter what the language is. The language should be baseball. And baseball is that universal language. So to me, I'm just, um, I was flabbergasted by someone who, his entire job is to market sports. Like realistically, Stephen A is not a journalist anymore. Like not at this point, Stephen A is like, was a really great journalist, but he's an entertainer. Now his whole job at ESPN is to market sports, to make your take like on first take. Oh, I want to isolate 40% of baseball players because they don't speak perfect English or they might have an accent to say that they can't be global superstars. When what you watched over the weekend, all of everyone's favorite memories from this weekend Everyone's worst memory is the one white guy. It's Pete Alonso. Everyone's favorite memories, <laughs> him winning the home run derby when nobody wanted him to. Everybody's favorite memories are Vladdy and Fernando Tatis and Shohei Otani, an international game. And, and I just was so frustrated um, on that respect. And I know I just sort of rambled a bit. Um, no, not at all. I mean, anything you guys like, I'd like to add there. Stephen A was, it's not like this is new. It's not like we haven't had Latin players mm-hmm. for 50 years or more. Who have come in and have had these issues so for him to sort of pick on otani was like i don't know low-hanging fruit is probably not the way to say it but it just felt like yep. it was it was a lazy take to make and it it's, wasn't like it's... he said and the next step is the florida Marlins. let's make our english pieces learn spanish <laughs> it was like shame on you like shame on him he picked right. up his life moved halfway around the world and speaks by hitting the ball and throwing the ball yep. like well imagine 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 you're an accountant right? And a firm in Tokyo recruits you. You live in New York. You live in New York. And a firm in Tokyo recruits you. And they're offering to pay you 20 times more what you could make. And for whatever reason, there's also marketing involved with being an accountant because, you know, this is a different world and that's what's going on. But, but there's other opportunities on the side for you being in Tokyo. Imagine showing up there and on your first day, they say, hey, we're going to give you a hat and a jersey with the name of our, you know, of our company on it. And you're going to go speak in Japanese in front of everyone in our whole country because you're the new superstar that's come here from America. Shohei Otani had to do that. Shohei Otani had to come from across the world and just pick up a life here and, and has learned the language. Like, He's learned the language. He gave his 2009 or his 2018 rookie of the year speech in English. You know, he's capable of it, but he has an accent. He's more comfortable with an interpreter. 
there's no reason that we should be shaming people for just being from other places in the world and having different backgrounds. Like it was just so shocking to me from someone who is so seemingly open-minded in Stephen A. Um, and I guess we've had a lot of that recently with a lot of different conversations about, you know, what's open-minded, what's not, who's open-minded, what are conversations behind closed doors, in front of people, in front of cameras, with producers, without producers. There's lots of stuff going on at ESPN in regard to all of that. Uh, but this one was pretty flabbergasting to me. And I just think it's so important to show empathy. Like empathy is the big thing. And that, I mean, I guess that's also part of the second topic, but empathy is the conversation here. And to to try to isolate someone who has done nothing but try to be a huge ambassador for the game of baseball while your network has essentially ignored it for the last few years. You're the ones who could have made him the star. You're the reason he's not. ESPN makes stars, man. Like, let's not joke around. Over the last two decades in particular, stars, yeah, they can make themselves and now more so than ever with social media, but ESPN made stars forever. They've ignored baseball the last few years. And so... They've ignored Shohei Otani and everything he's done. And mind you, he hasn't done this. No one's ever done this. And that's the part that stinks is that Shohei Otani is ha- this first half of the season. I, I, I had a, uh, uh, something I said to my brother the other day. I think Shohei Otani should be in the Hall of Fame. Like now, like if he retired tomorrow, put him in the Hall of Fame for the half of the season he just had. Because it's the craziest thing that's ever happened on a baseball field. Put him in the Hall of Fame. What are we doing? You know, like the fact that we're having conversations of can he be the face of baseball? I want to have the conversation. Should he already be a Hall of Famer? So it just it just felt like a like it was trite. You know, it was too easy. It was low hanging fruit, like you said. Yeah. And I mean, you know, back to what you say, when if the first thing someone's going to say or one of the first things that someone's going to say. When you want to talk about a person. Is, hey, Babe Ruth, like the second Babe Ruth comes up in the conversation. Unless you're arguing whether or not he was Latino, which is a whole nother. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, Babe Ruth was Dominican. Like, you're setting it up. Like, not coming. Not want to make this the biggest deal. Yeah, I. You know, it is funny, and I thought that actually uh, John Smoltz made a better comparison uh, during the All Star Game, where he said Shohei Otani's not Babe Ruth. Shohei Otani's Bo Jackson, but he's doing it in baseball, like just both in baseball, because essentially. What he's doing is saying, hey, here's a whole season as a Major League Baseball pitcher. And then separately, here's a whole season as a Major League Baseball hitter. And I'm one of the best at both. It's so it's more like when Bo Jackson was out there dominating in baseball in center field and also a superstar running back or Deion Sanders. I mean, honestly, Bo Jackson was better. So it's a better comparison for Bo Jackson. But like, that's really what's happening here. It's remarkable that he's capable of doing this, particularly physically. Like, it makes no sense that his body should be holding up this way, that he can do what he did in the home run derby and then come back the next day and start on the mound and then hit. I mean, it's just, it's so special. And I just think we are all so lucky. We are all so lucky to be witnessing it. Like I, I hope we're not taking it for granted because who knows how long it can last. I just, if anybody's body can do it, I mean, it's that guy. He's built like a freak, but I don't know how a body can hold up doing this because your, your body's just not, it's not supposed to be able to do any of it. Yeah. And I mean, I look at it also, he wants to do it. 
He's like more than anything. He wants to be the face of baseball. He wants to pitch every fifth day. He wants to hit four out of those other five days. Like he wants this, mm -hmm. which is not something we always get, especially when someone like we talked about moved across the world, new language, new people, new organization, all this stuff. And it's just really I'm impressed by it oh. because, like I said, he he's sort of he's taking the bull by the horns and like, give me all of it. And I'm ready for it. Yeah, I mean, I to me right now there is more guys in major league baseball than in a really long time that want to be superstars fernando tatis jr wants to be a superstar vladdy jr is, is complicated but he he wants it because he's so like he's so confident in his swing he'll take it acuna jr who's now hurt but he wants to be a superstar jazz chisholm jr with the marlins wants to be a superstar he's not quite on the level of those guys in terms of of playing quite yet but he wants it. He was just in GQ this week. Shohei wants it. Like there's, there's more guys than in a really long time. And they're all so much fun to watch. Like these guys are playing the type of game we've wanted for a long time. So that, to me, it's really special. Um, yeah. And I, I think baseball, it's, it's so weird because baseball is in a strange space where there's this stuff hanging over baseball where collective bargaining's coming up and there's rule changes and then there's the the cheating with the sticky stuff and what's going to be allowed and what's not and there's all this stuff hanging over a game that right now is in better position than it's been in a really long time to re-enter the market in a new if they can brand baseball in the right way with the personalities baseball can come back in a big way with the generation that exists right now you just have to make it quirky they just want personalities to follow. So give them the personalities to follow. And young people will flock back to the game. I think it's cyclical. I really do. I don't think that, I don't think baseball is like, quote unquote, too boring for people. I think there are things they can do to make the game more entertaining, especially for those of us who, who remember a game that was more entertaining. But for young people, just give every team the right personality to follow and you'll make the game make hard knocks, you know, give people personalities. And, and I think baseball can come back in the way that I think hopefully it will. Thank you for your thoughts on all that. I know it's a, it's a complex topic and it's always hard to go after <laughs> the big dog in ESPN and the big dog in Stephen A. Smith. So, you know, sure. Just get me on a bottom line of something for some reason. <laughs> Absolutely. <I'll... laughs> we're we're going to do our best to make that happen. Oh no. Oh God. <laughs> maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said that. that all great. right. So we're going to go out to Capo. He's got a question for you. Go ahead, Capo. Hey, JT. How you doing? What's up, man? Well, tried to chime in once, but I didn't want to interrupt. Um, do you know any, um, this isn't my actual question, but I don't mm -hmm. remember, and if you remember any, it's like, have you ever heard Babe Ruth talk? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, so I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard Babe Ruth talk. I know Babe Ruth. That's crazy. Why am I not processing? I feel like... If I've ever heard Babe Ruth's voice, it would probably be, it probably would have been at the Hall of Fame. But I was like 11 years old when I went to the Hall of Fame. And so if I've heard his voice, I probably don't remember it. Now, I live five minutes away from the birthplace, the museum. So like I should, oh, really? actually, I should go down and investigate this. Yes, <laughs> please. That being said, um, you guys are, uh, as in the Marlins, are doing a little bit of, uh, you know, you're about 11 games better than the Orioles this year, but you've went through plenty of years of tanking. Mm. Um, well, one, give me hope. And uh, two, um, if, are you familiar with uh, the South Park based baseball episode? 
Oh God, I'm sorry to say that I'm not. And yeah, that's okay, going to make me seem so lame because I'm sure 90% well, of people live. You can go watch it and, and enjoy it. it it's still I will. Place. But anyway, um, <laughs> so they're, they're attempting to, um, to lose. Neither one of them want to continue playing baseball throughout the summer. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. So with the Orioles, perfect. Uh, with the Orioles um, attempting to repeat that, and the Marlins um, have done that for quite a few years, if you took whatever Marlins team you can think of versus you know the Orioles team, which team loses? Oh, it's it's one of those Marlins teams. Some of those Marlins teams had some really rough years, and it's like I'm not even trying. I'm not even sure it's like the most recent run of run of rough years. That's a really hard thing to say. Um, I don't even know if it's like the ones from like, you know, 2015 to 17 or whatever. I'm thinking more like in 2009, you know, that type of era. And I know that maybe 2009 was a year they almost competed for the wild card, but like that stretch after the 2003 world series, before they tried to rebuild again, there were a few years there where there are some names that are just remarkable to look back on and say, wow, that guy just got to have a major league career because the Marlins were a minor league team. At least the Orioles right now, I mean, there's there's a couple of fun young players on the team. Like you have a legitimate all-star. I know the Orioles needed to have an all-star named to the game, just like for the last number of years, the Marlins have had their one all-star named to the game. But Marlins is a real deal. Like there's a real fun young player to build around. And like, that's more than a lot of those teams that can that are in rebuilding phases can say. Like the Marlins for so many years were rebuilding with none of the young stars there, right? Like, so the Marlins are sort of underachieving from what they wanted this season overall in terms of their record. But even in last place, like I'm pretty optimistic about how it moves forward because now we've gotten to see that Jazz Chisholm Jr. and Jesus Sanchez look like real Major League Baseball players that will contribute. The Orioles have a legit all-star. So, all right, there's your guy to build around. Hope the rest of it works out. At You know, you, you bring, I mean, you've had number one picks. They'll come up soon. Those guys are real close to the show. Like, it might not be the longest rebuild ever, especially because the NL East is a strangely volatile division where all of a sudden the Rays are the only consistent team for the last decade. How weird is that? That doesn't you're make so, any sense in that division. You're so right about, about all of that. I mean, we, we, we have quite a few other um, players like uh, Mountcastle and Hayes mm-hmm. and um, some other guys that are they're right there. Like they're like Cedric actually jumped them. Um, right. You know, Cedric had took a, you know, he had went backwards a little bit, but then, you know, he, he just really came onto the scene and the other guys, they, they have a lot of potential. And I, I, mm-hmm. I do like the minor leagues, um, you know, Rutschman. And even if it, you know, this, this cursed ad that we're, we hear about, I know he's going through, a, you know, some medical problems, but um, yeah, you know, it, that's, he's even one of the lower ones and there's so many more above them where if they can finally just put it together, they could, you know, get the ball rolling and, uh, and try to compete. And I think that that's something specifically with the Orioles, something, a place where you're lucky is there. That's a real fan base, right? That, you know, when they start winning, it's, they're going to show up. It's one of the most, I mean, it's truthfully, this is going to be like a major hot take. Camden Yards might be my favorite ballpark that I've been to. And I've been to Wrigley and Fenway and Yankee Stadium and the old Yankee Stadium. And I love Camden Yards. It is a pleasure to watch a baseball game there. And you know that the fan base is real. So once they do turn that corner and even just start competing on a 
on a minor level where they can get back to like, all right, we're in it for the wild card. Essentially, you know, where the Marlins are at right now, which is like a little under 500, but playing some fun baseball. Orioles fans will be right back and people will be, they're the type of team that won't be afraid to make moves to get over the top once those young guys come up too. Like there's, to me, there should be trust, at least seemingly within that organization. Mark Elias is good at his job too. I mean, like there's, they've all, everything that they've done over the, the span of years has me believing that they'll be fine within the next couple of years themselves. It's just no fun when you're losing and it's 162 games. It's so much easier to tank in the NFL where you only thank have to watch it 16 times. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for all that. Um, of course. I love, I love Cam and Camden Yards and I'll Pam, you got to put that in a book. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's in there. That's in the audio version. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks man. I appreciate it. Of course. So JT for a second, what do you think of some of the trades that just sort of happened and, and some of yeah. that just broke on Twitter? What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Getting um, a little timely here. Yeah, so uh, the one Jock Peterson is what we're talking about, right? The yeah. Jock Peterson trade from Chicago. What the f? f what happened there? Why? I, I what? You're just gonna give the Braves Jock Peterson for some 23 year old who's hitting 200 in single A? What's going on? The Cubs are what their ownership group is doing right now is infuriating to me. Uh, I get that some of these guys are at the end of their line you know, and that a number like the Cubs are not that good right now. They're not. And I'll, this group of players is not the right group of players to go forward forever. But I wish that the way the Cubs were doing this is the way that the Braves rebuilt. We're going to keep a couple steady, dependable guys through the rebuild and be good with them still here. The guy that comes to mind is Freddie Freeman. He went through some awful years with the Braves. I mean, some awful years. And now he gets to be a part of the other side of it, where as a young player, he was part of a core group that, you know, made some playoff runs. So it's Anthony Rizzo kind of got to do that, right? Like he came up as the Sammy Sosa years were ending, which is crazy to think about, like realistically in terms of time, I think, right? He came up, I think in like 08. Yeah, Am I wrong? I, I might no, be I wrong. Think that, no, I, I think, I think he's that. been up for a lot longer than we think. Maybe somebody look it up and call me out on this. But I think Anthony Rizzo basically got to go through the rebuild and then reach the mountaintop. I wish that with the younger players that they have. I understand if you want to move on from Chris Bryant, who's a veteran, who you can probably get a lot for at the deadline. But with like Javi Baez, who was a core piece as a young guy for a World Series winning team who's so versatile, who can do so much for you defensively, who's a pleasure to watch play. What's the need to get off of that money when you're just turning around and trading Jock Peterson for cash? Like it's just, it's all strictly financial, it seems like they're making these moves because, oh, these guys are at the end of the line and we need to, you know, we really need to reset and we're just going to get a haul. Like it feels more like they're like, oh, we just don't want to pay them. And we don't even really care what we get back. We just need to make sure we don't have to pay them. And that's the part that's frustrating. You're the Cubs. Yeah. Like you're the Chicago. You don't need. We talk about this with like the Marlins and the Mariners and all these teams. And we get annoyed. I'm going to get really annoyed if it's the Cubs. <laughs> you know, and I understand we're coming off some weird years. But if anyone should be capable of, of you know, all right, spending a little extra, whatever. It's the Cubs. They have a whole town built around them in Wrigleyville. Like, 
they make money hand over fist. I just, I don't, I mean, it's, it would seem at least it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's just me completely overreacting. Thank you for someone corrected in the chat and said 2011, 2012 on Rizzo. So maybe it's, it's a couple years after the Sammy Sosa years dwindled down, but it all sort of blurs together. Um, yeah, I, I think the Cubs completely discounted your entire opinion after being three years <laughs> off there, JT. So we got yeah, probably. Yeah, the Cubs that are listening, the Cubs yeah. that are listening right now, they're <laughs> like, you know what? Jeremy was making, making Jeremy was making a good point, and we were going to listen to him. We were going to keep these guys and just spend <laughs> all this money. But you know what? He was off on Anthony Rizzo, so screw that guy. We're going to sell them all. I love JT knowing they'd be listening if it was swings and misses, but it's louder after yeah. hours. He's like, they are not listening to this podcast. Uh, no, they're not listening to swings and misses either. The Marlins might. Marlins might. Cubs are not. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Thanks, JT. Next one, throw it out to Jeanette. She's got a little different non-baseball question to hit you with. Yeah, this might be the palate cleanser for the whole um recording okay um, so uh, i hope you enjoy it um i know that one of your passions is music and one of your favorite bands is the beatles so i wanted to ask you how in- how incredibly just nervous energy fanboy are you right now for the paul mccartney documentary tomorrow on hulu oh. and what do you hope to learn from it? Or are you just going to be like, I, I, I don't want to learn anything. I just want to enjoy and just totally fanboy out. Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking me this question. I'm so excited. I was, I was DMing actually with, uh, with Yeti and Andrew uh, yesterday. Uh, and yeah. And Yeti messaged and said like, Oh, I, so in my brain, I forgot about the McCartney Rick Rubin documentary that's coming out now, because I'm sure some of you guys know, and, and I'm sure you know, as, as you just asked this question, but there's a documentary coming out at the end of the year around Thanksgiving with um, Peter Jackson. Oh God, why, yeah, thank Plus. you. With Peter Jackson, with Peter Jackson. Thank you. And so, yeah, on Disney Plus. And so, in my brain, I think I had. I moved both of them to Thanksgiving because that one got delayed. It was supposed to come out in the summer and got yes. pushed. And so I think I pushed both of them in my mind. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, this is coming tomorrow. So that being said, uh, I'm so excited to learn. Uh, I'm such a music nerd. And I particularly with the Beatles, like love all the intricacies of what it was that they were doing because they were the first people in a lot of ways to like mess around in the studio. And by that, I mean, just come up with random sounds to then use that within their music. And so seemingly based off the previews of these documentaries, you've got Paul McCartney who made the music sitting down with Rick Rubin, one of the greatest producers that we know, basically delving into how their music evolved over a decade using individual songs and their production and the layers of those production as example i mean i literally you you can't understand that at the beginning at the beginning of the pandemic i started this whole process and i remember telling you guys about it that i was going for these like hour long walks listening to all these albums from the beginning to the end and the one that like flipped the switch to where i was like oh i need to research all of these people was the Beatles specifically. And I was just pouring through information. Oh my God, it was ridiculous. And so going from there to now know that they've basically curated these documentaries for exactly what I want as This Is Pop comes out, which has been great. And this 1971 documentary on Apple 
TV is coming out, which looks like it's really great about music in 1971. And then Quest Love has his document. I mean, there's so much about just delving into music. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm obviously really, really excited about it. So thank you for asking. Yeah. The closest thing I've seen to something out of them is the DVD that they made for the Love Show in Las Vegas with Cirque du Soleil, mm. which actually has um, George Martin, their producer, and Giles Martin, his son, and how they blended the songs and the concepts for the show and incorporating the acrobatics and the input from, you know, Olivia, Paul, Ringo, and uh, Yoko. I'm going to need to watch that now. I haven't seen it. So I'm thinking it's going to be on that on that level or exceeding that. And I am just like you, Yeti, Andrew, I am incredibly excited. So if there's like a screening time, we could all kind of like coordinate. Oh, I would love that. I would appreciate it. You know, West would... Coast time, I know I would like it for you guys. Or just later on in the, the DMs, we can just like send each other um, yeah. broccoli emojis. Yeah, honestly, the the I'm down for West Coast time because I often have to like cover games during all the normal people East Coast time. So I'm I'm down. We'll we'll figure this out. I maybe I will see. Maybe maybe. But I I really want to. I'd love to be able to watch this with a group of people. That'd be so fun. Put it it's, on uh, our Twitch. Yeah. I seriously I it's gonna be. I'm like I'm such a nerd for this stuff. I cannot begin to explain. So I'm yeah. I'm so excited. Thank you for bringing it up. You're more now, excited about uh, the Beatles than you were baseball in many ways. Uh, yeah, it happens. I mean, they're right over my shoulder here. Yeah. Got some little little Beatles action figures like the nerd that I am. I'm more excited about the trophy over your left shoulder. Yeah, oh, no, this trophy. <laughs> this trophy's funny. This trophy, I was a, uh, I was a guest on a podcast called NL Feast which is just an NL East podcast. Um, and before the show, they had said like, oh, you're going to be our first guest ever. And then we moved on to talk about other things. And I said to them that if they, you know, if they sent me a trophy, you know, or something like that, I'd put it up in the breakfast of Jeremy's background. Like totally kidding. They sent me a trophy and it just says, Jeremy Taché, the very first guest in NL Feast history. And so I'm a man of my word and it's now sitting behind me. We so need to make a shout out to those guys. If yeah. we make one that takes up your entire background and just says Lower After Hours, you have nothing else behind you, just a big old banner. Would you do that? I'll do, that I'll do it for one episode. I'll do it for I'll do it for one episode. Of another pod, not ours. No, I'll do it for one episode of my show. <laughs> oh, perfect. Like I'll just I'll just put it if you really if you do it, I'll do it. I love you guys. I'll give you a little so shout. What's going to happen to the, like the eight foot tall, like a uh, trophy after that one episode is the real question. Uh, it'll probably end up in Mike Ryan's garage, right? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, That's perfect. what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. It'll end up. There we go. We all get the show, huh? <laughs> I love it. All right. Next, we're going to go out to, uh, Finch, a special guest. Um, she's joining us from uh, D.C. and she's one of the ladies of Nationals Baseball. So I think you're going to have a very specific question from her. Go ahead, Finch. Um, well, first off, thanks so much for having me. It's exciting. It's the first ever podcast I've been a part of. So, oh, so cool. um, 
So I just want to circle back. I do have an actual baseball question. I want to circle back to the Stephen A. Smith and the language mm-hmm. thing. And first I had a comment and then I've got a question for you. So the comment, this was going around the day after. Um, and it was something that was said in the Nats Twitter verse, because I'm a mm-hmm. huge Nationals fan. And somebody had pointed out, you know, during the 2019 season, Brian Dozier was part of the Nationals. And it was very well known that Brian Dozier learned Spanish Mm -hmm. to better communicate with his Spanish player teammates. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think that was before he became a national, but he, I mean, when he became a ball player, he learned Spanish. And so I think there's something to be said that there are the Stephen A. Smiths of the world who expect people to learn English. But I think the opposite is true too, where I think there are guys out there who want to better communicate with their teammates and want to you know, better themselves. And I think those guys should be recognized too. Um, hundred percent. Correct. hundred percent. And then the comment was made, you know, if Brian Dozier was on the angels with Otani, he absolutely would have tried to learn Japanese. Like if you watched Brian Dozier, if you knew anything about him, like he so much wanted to be a part of culture for all of his teammates. And, um, and I think there are other guys like that out there. So, I just want to give a little shout out to Brian Dozier of world. Yeah. Series. Shout out Brian, Brian Dozier. Dozier. <laughs> that's great. I, I don't know I, if he gets a lot of shout, shout outs, but I'm going to shout him out for that. I think it should be the name of the podcast is shout out Brian Dozier. Uh, just <laughs> if you guys, just so you're welcome. Uh, I just that's how my brain works too. So you guys are welcome for that one. Uh, no, I think that the, it, it is interesting because um, and I see actually what Flum just said in the chat, which is, I think he quits if he, it's, if it's Japanese that he has to learn. Uh, I, I actually, I, there's part of me that actually doesn't totally disagree with what you have to say there, Flum. And just in terms of, uh, learning Spanish was going to be something that helped him relate to like so many of his teammates. Yep. Um, and I think he would have made efforts hundred percent. You're right. Like a guy like that, that's going out of his way, he would have made the effort to learn some Japanese, you know, like he would have, or he would have learned some so that that way there could be some communication. But like you mentioned, there are guys all across major league baseball who have studied up to become fluent in Spanish specifically so they can communicate with their teammates. And I think like, I think it's insane that there are any catchers in major league baseball that are not bilingual, like insane that there can be a catcher in major league baseball. That's not bilingual. When you think about the communication and the emotional communication, like it's not when there's a language barrier in terms of your actual, like, you know, spoken language, there can be a barrier in terms of your ability to communicate just with like looks and things like that. You're not necessarily on the same page. And so like, I think being bilingual is so, so, so important. Um, particularly for the catching position and, and just making the effort to learn a little bit. And sorry, I, I know you also had a question. I just no, no, wanted, to, I wanted I, to agree I, with you completely. <laughs> well, good. That's great. And I think he would have learned, I think Japanese, I think, I think there's an argument can be made that Japanese is definitely harder than Spanish to learn. Yeah. Something yeah. Native English speaker. I think he would have learned some and he embraced Spanish speaking music mm. so much. So if he got to embrace so cool. K-pop, he absolutely would have embraced K-pop. Oh, hell yeah. K-pop. He would have it. done that. So, so here's my question going back to Stephen A. Smith though. And you're talking yes. about, you know, it's on the producers and they should have stopped him, but can't an argument 
argument be made that at this point with Stephen A. Smith, isn't he part of his job is to become gifts and to become like that caption on Twitter, like the facial expressions and those quick little sound bites. Like I yeah. kind of feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to, I, know, it, I think I know, I think I know where you want to go with this yeah. because my brain went there as well. And so okay. I'm going to go from here. And if I'm wrong, stop me and okay. we'll reset. But <laughs> I think where you're trying to go is essentially is part of his job to be provocative. And yes. are we, are you in some ways saying like the Chris Cody thing, which is, is any publicity, good publicity and is the publicity for first take and also for Shohei Otani, who all of a sudden got a major infomercial essentially from everyone across everywhere. Was it actually Stephen A's job just to create a talking point? Uh, I think personally, uh, yes, that's his job. It's what I just mentioned before. He's not a journalist anymore. His job is to entertain. Um, I think the job of the producers, and that's specifically their role, is figure out the line. Like that's the whole thing, right? In in producing, it's why everybody gets mad with Mike Ryan, right? Because he's the one who has to to keep the boat from tipping over or the ship from tipping over. Because there are certain lines in certain places and certain provocative conversations that go from provocative to just offensive. And so I think that if, if Stephen A had tried to make his nuanced point and had done, had just done the right job maybe of prefacing himself, right? Of really taking the time to think, because this isn't just... Like it was an ignorant take. It was clear based off of his initial apology that he was not informed. Like he was not, he did not come back with the, with the right apology until 24, 48 hours later. And mind you, give him credit for at least seemingly learning a bit of the lesson that was there to be learned. I'm not like mad at Stephen A forever because of this. It's also not my fight. So I'm not, I understand if someone else might be. Um, but to me, it was clear he was ignorant on this topic. He had a bad take. And the producer's job is to sort of hone in on what that initial take was, help teach some of the, this is why we talk about having diverse workrooms. This is why we talk about having diverse producing groups in particular, especially when you talk about a sport like baseball, which is so diverse. And there are so many different types of people to talk about. There's a reason we need people from so many different walks of life in these rooms to make sure that someone can be there to step up and go, hold on a second. Are we sure that's the take? Are we sure we don't want to hone that in into something a little bit different? Because that right there is placing blame on a guy for something that shouldn't be there. And yes, it's controversial, but there can be that, that same conversation could have been had and probably could have gotten not the same amount of views that this obviously gotten, or, you know, obviously had, but could have still been a big talking point for them without needing to sort of cross those lines. At least that's where, where I was at on it. And I just want to clarify what he said was awful and atrocious. I don't agree with him at all. I'm just saying, going back to the producers, I like I totally agree with you. He was trying. He mm -hmm. needs to be pro provocative. He was doing that, and he just 100% crossed the line. So yeah. I just I think there are more people in the room to blame, not just him. Yeah. If I may, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. No, I was just going to agree that it's 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 sort of a team loss there, and he's the face of the team.
you know, first take, it was first takes fault. It wasn't Stephen A is the guy on camera. I'm, I'm kind of like weirdly learning that more and more, uh, than I was ever able to say before. I was the producer for a really long time. And all of a sudden I'm starting to do some more stuff on camera where I'm sometimes just reading other people's words very rarely so far, but it's going to start happening more and more where there are topics just sort of given to me or, Hey, Jeremy, go off the cuff on this. And I'm learning that like it, it takes a team effort. It really does. And and I'm, I've now seen it from both ends of that spectrum. It's a loss for that show. It was their fault as a show. He's just the one who gets the front facing blame, understandably. And also, mind you, his take that that take does not get fed to him by somebody else. So that is yeah, where the blame is on him. He brings that there. And that's important. That's okay. important to consider in this regard, because it is the show's blame, but like he's the one who brought it up and then he's the one who executed it. They just didn't stop him. And not for whatever, sorry for continuing to ramble here, but we've seen some things here about the way that the ESPN workplace structure seems to work when you're a little lower on the totem pole. Imagine trying to tell Stephen A that he's ignorant. And that's another part of this where if you don't have the right executive producers in the room, the right people who can call Stephen A on XYZ thing, anytime, any topic, I don't care what it is, someone who is nearly his equal that is then accessible to the people who are the associate producers on that show. If that's not the way that it works, then no one can check Stephen A. And that's his own fault for isolating himself from his producers and not giving himself the safety net that exists of younger people there to sort of check you. I agree. What was also frustrating for me was someone could have twisted it to, and here's how we can make it better. Here's what we can do to improve the situation. Here's how we can add to the situation or do something to, mm. to, he's a star, but he has some shortcomings. How can we, like, there was no, and here's what we do. It was like criticism, 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 criticism. Right. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. Move on. It's like, yep. there was, well, there was no learning moment or wanting to have a learning moment it was just sort well, of i don't think there was supposed to be a learning moment initially i think espn's done the bit of fixing baseball and the whole baseball is boring yep. i say that knowing i'm a guy that says baseball is boring and it <laughs> kind of goes into the the last half of what jeremy was saying is if that's the case and we're talking home run derby at that day right i don't think you have executive producers or hiring producers in on a home run derby segment for first take and i mean i maybe i don't know any of that but i just don't think baseball You're is right. that important so it's Stephen A telling other people that just entered the industry, maybe even five, 10 years ago, who cares? it doesn't matter. It's Stephen A, it's his empire. This is my take. This is me being funny. This is me putting on my Dallas cowboy hat. And yep. uh, even if somebody thought it, I don't think it's, and again, I'm just assuming, I don't think it's our place to even almost bring in producers. I think this is clearly a Stephen A thing. And whether you agree, disagree of how, you know, how to take it or what the intent was, I, I think Stephen A is 100% responsible for what came out. And that's 100% fair. And that's why the blame does go to him. I've been a producer in a local newsroom where there were nine of us in the sports department. And while the guy I worked under was like a legend here in Miami, not Stephen A. Smith stature in the grand scheme of all of, you know, sports media. And I, at moments when there were questionable takes or questionable decisions of the way that we were going to report on certain things that I wholeheartedly disagreed with, whether it was for moral reasons or I just thought was produced poorly. There were some times where I was like, I don't think those should be the plays that we put in the highlights, you know, 
but it was hard to to say that. And that was just in a local newsroom environment where we had a pretty much family atmosphere. And it was, you can say whatever you want. And yes, you know, boss's word is final, but we tried to have that sort of open environment. And that's not always the case in specifically television uh, programming where the ego can grow, man. I mean, I've sat in front of a camera just a couple of times now and I, my head can't get through the door. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's intoxicating. Uh, I get it. You, you and so, us, so you still haven't gotten too big. Yeah, no, it's never going to happen. I'm not, I'm kind of kidding, but it is, but I get, I get the ego trip. Like I get how someone who is told that they're right all the time, right. Or like his job is to argue. And then he goes on Twitter and pretty much most of the time he's told he's right. Like a lot of people are Stephen A. Smith fans. And so a lot of his mentions, if you look at them, are people totally agreeing with him. His whole job is to be right all the time. And so you come across an ignorant take and nobody's there to check it in the way. And, and maybe you're right, Flem. Like maybe, maybe it's his fault that those power dynamics are different or no one is there to check him or something like that. But the reason I view it as a team loss is just I've been the producer. And if if my anchor had gone out there and my reporter had gone out there and gotten himself into that sort of hot water, I would have blamed myself, especially if it was a pre-produced segment where I had already thought to myself, like, mm, are we sure? And so I wonder how the producers at First Take are feeling right now. Like, And I can't blame any individual one of them. And the power dynamics are so complicated that I can't blame any of them for not stepping up. But I look at a whole group and I say, man, it's hard that none of you did. It, and it, yeah. it, it, it reflects poorly on whatever your show's work dynamics are that no one did. Yeah. And I mean, that's what separates us. I absolutely would have blamed you too if I was Stephen A, like if the producer did it. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. thanks. <laughs> so we're going to go out to Jeff in California um, for, his next, for the next question. Go ahead, Hi, Jeff. Jeff. Hey, Jeremy. It's Jeff. Baby face. You might not recognize him. Hey, Jeff. He, he messed up and shaved his whole face off. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, was, I hate when I do that to myself. Dude, it was really bad. I, I I had forgotten that I had taken, like, the beard, like, thing off. And no. I went for it. And, yeah. It it's was, the worst feeling. It's the oh, worst feeling in the world. God, I hate it. I hate it so much. If it helps, one time I did that, but with my hair. Oh, I've done that, too. Yeah, I've shaved a hole into the side of my head. It yeah, was, yeah, I had to, I had to go totally bald. Yep, it was poor. All right, well, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah, blood brothers. Um, <laughs> well, it's good to see, you, friend. Um, my question, it's kind of a question. It's just kind of just like, what is your take on in general? As you know, we've been talking about Stephen A. and the ESPN situation, but as far as Maria Taylor's situation. Huh. And what the hell does she do? What does ESPN do? How do you see this playing out? I mean, it's there, there are so many variables there and it's just, it's crazy. I do think so first, because I want to delve into that and like some of the, the power dynamics between literally Maria and, and ESPN and how that all works. But I do think like, and they've, they've, they harped on this at the beginning on, on Levitard show but the idea that we just sort of let it go that Rachel was initially complaining about like the Trumpy white guys that were basically pitting her and Maria against each other. And that all just sort of gets glossed over when really they're the ones to blame for all of this 
is, you know, quintessential the way that we do debate in America. Like, and and for that matter, it's the way we do debate on first take. So it's pretty perfect uh, that it's absolutely the surface level stuff. Uh, when it comes to Maria, what's crazy is like Maria is the most versatilely talented reporter they have. Like she's capable of doing every sport with every age group of athlete. Like, do you know how difficult it is to get college football players and, you know, veteran NBA guys alike right now with the disparity between guys like, you know, Chris Paul and LeBron James, and then Gen Z 19 year olds at Ohio state, like to also be so vulnerable with you. And then coaches, like her interviews are always incredible. And, and then she's capable of being this incredible studio host. So Tim, I mean, like Maria Taylor is as good as it gets at what she does. And it seems like, she seems to be using this position to leverage herself a spot over at NBC, which is the latest reporting um, that she seems to be kind of close to a contract over there, at least at the last time that I saw that was this morning. Um, but with that being the case, like I can't blame her for doing so. Um, it does make you question a little bit how and why and where the Rachel Nichols leak comes from based off the timing of when contracts are up and it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable about all of it uh, that man, if that came from Maria's camp, like I get it, you know, like I totally get it. And it doesn't make anything that Rachel said less shitty, you know, like it, it doesn't change any of the facts, but it does, you know, just make you feel, you know, squirmy about the business part of it. Um, and I've felt uncomfortable about the business side of all of this from the very beginning because, and, and Jessica made this point on Levitar Joe as well when they were having this initial conversation, but isn't it so shitty that there is only one spot for a woman in that regard? Like, isn't it so terrible that we couldn't just have both Rachel and Maria involved in the broadcast instead of whichever bad former NBA sixth man they want to trot out that isn't contributing anything say besides a laugh. No, but any of them, like literally any of them, I'll say any of them. Like uh, Jalen Rose is really good. Other than Jalen Rose, yeah. like they just recycle a bunch of washed up NBA guys who sometimes contribute. And I'm there. I'm all here for former player who can actually provide analysis in a real way. Like, there are things that former players can tell me about the game that no one else can. And I think that using former players as analysts is really important. But also, if we're just going to be sitting and doing like hot take theater for the first 30 minutes before whatever game, why can't Maria or Rachel be the one to give the hot takes? We pretend like Stephen A is still a reporter, right? When he's not an objective journalist. Right. So if we're going to sometimes let him like ask questions and be the journalist or whatever, you just have to balance the line between. And, and it's something that Levitard did incredibly. Right. He could sometimes deliver the take, but also was capable of wearing the journalist hat enough to be able to get athletes to respect him and know that he was coming at them with real questions and was then accountable. And this is the big thing. I talk about this with Craig Mish on our podcast all the time because Craig like fires off takes on our podcast about players within the Marlins organization 
But what he says is, I'll show up to the clubhouse. And if they have a problem, they can take it up with me. So you can do bowls. Maria could be doing interviews with players on the sidelines and then also firing off takes about them. It's just about balancing the relationships and deciding, do you want to be a newsbreaker? Do you want to be a personality? All of that. But my frustration, again, goes back to the people producing the shows and to the people above the producers who decide what the producers have to do, because realistically, that's what it is. The structure of these shows are not decided by the producers. The producers just execute it. Um, under a very strict confine of like, this is what the executives say is what we want um, when, when you've reached that level of, of television making. And so going back to Maria, I don't know what you do because I have to imagine working at ESPN after all of this would be really awkward. Like it's just got to be so uncomfortable with certain people. Now, if you can create an environment for yourself where maybe you get to isolate yourself from anybody that you don't want to work with and you do get, you know, quote unquote, Stephen A money and they build out more and more around you, leverage it, build a team, do what you got to do and have your own section of ESPN. Um, but to me, I, I would, I mean, I would think I'd just be looking to go, all right, everybody's no different than like everybody just talked about how great Shohei Otani is. All we've done for the last couple of weeks is talk about how incredible Maria Taylor is deservedly. So she's everybody knows how great she is. Someone's going to snag her. Yeah. I, I got to figure that, you know, considering how the um, finals have gone so far, she's got a, I mean, she's got crazy leverage right now. I mean, it's oh, two, yeah. two series. It's insane. I mean, she was only signed through game four, right? It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah, I think right now she's I up. I think she's which free agent hilarious. right now. Mm-hmm. If that's a, if it's after game five, either way, right? Because either, either way, it's, it's, it's a three, going, two it's series. Going at least six. Oh my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, she's got unbelievable leverage right now. And either they pay her like crazy or she's out. And even mm-hmm. I honestly think she has an opportunity to get paid like crazy for the next two to three games. Yeah. Like a couple, two, three, four million dollars. And she can still dip. Mm-hmm. I have a, a wonderful example. Uh, and it ended up not working out that way. But originally, uh, working at, at WSBN, our, our main anchor was retiring in January on the Super Bowl was here in Miami in February. And so the station was like, come on, like, we can't have you retire. The guy that's been here for 30 years, right before the Super Bowl, what do you need to stay through the Super Bowl? They ultimately worked it out to where he stayed a whole other year. But that was the initial conversation was like, we got to keep you on TV through the Super Bowl. ESPN cannot lose Maria Taylor during the NBA finals cannot period who you replacing her with. Cause it's not going to be Rachel. And then no, who no, no, she's out. So like, yeah. And it's not going to be Malika Andrews because she's doing the sideline. Unless you're going to promote her to do something she's never done at my age, like, and put her not in position to succeed. You really can't afford to lose Maria. You can't do it. And so it's such a fascinating position where you're right. She might get like a few million dollars for three nights of work. Like I think that it's really happens. possible. I think that only happens if she already has a deal somewhere else in place because with the money she wants, there's no way you do that if you don't already have the long-term game because yeah, two but, or three million up front, but then ESPN comes back door and offers you a 1 million a year. 
for whatever. Like, I yeah, don't think but you they do that unless you have the long. But I mean, if she does, if they do that, she's getting paid like crazy elsewhere. Like they can't do, they can't do that. I think the reality is, and and maybe I mean, look, I I don't know how anybody uh, negotiates contracts of that level. I am <laughs> not close to getting paid like them, but I would say. I, I would think that contracts of, of, of that uh, financial magnitude within these types of organizations, if they're willing to give you, you know, a couple mil to stick around, not only are they going to then pick up conversations and say like, yeah, they'll probably start a little lower, but if they start low, like she has her stardom just took off to another level unfortunately it's an unfortunate reason as to why but there's more people that know maria taylor's name today than they did before and so she is going to attract eyeballs if she goes somewhere else particularly something like man if she goes to nbc and all of a sudden she's doing sunday night football and like they're giving her some leeway to really be creative and like let her be rinaldi like let her do both, like let her be sidelines and do packages and build something around her. There's networks out there salivating at the idea of we can bring her in to do more than what ESPN has done. We will, because it's not only will we get to take advantage of her talent, but we get to take advantage of the PR. Like that's what they're thinking about too. Oh, we're going to be the ones to let Maria Taylor do her work. Look at us. Good for us. Pat on the back, which is BS. But hey, if it means that Maria Taylor gets to do more, I guess it's a good end result for now. And then eventually we'll tap into the, the getting to good results with good reasoning too. I'm fine with good results for now. We'll get to the good reasoning later. Well, um, it, it seems, I think the bottom line is just that Dan got out at the right time. Holy like, hell. <laughs> like it really does seem like everything has gone to shit since then. So it- it's I mean, funny. I mean, it's also because we've we've had it painted for us through like we all listen enough. Ironically, as I catch up, I'm like four days behind for the first time in forever uh, that I haven't been listening on a daily basis just because I've had a lot of work going on. And uh, I so desperately want to be listening to everything that they have to say right now about Cuba and everything else. Um, but with Lebetard in particular, like for them to end up getting out and then, like, I was cracking up at the idea that they were sitting there having a show with Jamel and Amin talking about what was going on at ESPN with race. I was like, this is, this is like, if you would have told me six months ago that they'd be having this conversation this freely and everything would still look the same. Because that's what's been so funny about the transition is all the visuals are still the same. So it feels a little bit like they're still having, like when I watched them have the conversation on YouTube, it still felt like watching it on ESPN. And so there was this like almost anxiety pulsing through me where I was like, oh my God, what happens when the executives hear this? And I was like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's a very, very funny dynamic. Right on. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Good to see you, man. Of course, you too. Yeah, it's 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 strange that uh you know ESPN cares about what they care about and Dan's boss cares about peppers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I will say, uh, ESPN, if you want to hire me, I'm available. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not available. I'm actually the furthest thing from available. But one day, you know, ESPN's always been. It's this funny thing with ESPN, uh, where it's always been the dream. And for anybody that's in sports media, like ESPN is the dream. Um, and I there's this combination of things where I'm saying, number one, 
there are still so many people who are there who I admire so greatly. Like some of my literal biggest inspirations in this field are ESPNers right now. And there are a lot of the people who were the Levitard adjacent ESPNers, but still ESPNers nonetheless who are still there. And on top of that, it's been this kind of cool thing to see Levitard build out something that was so uniquely Miami and him deciding to stay and build out, you know, this thing. It was a huge inspiration for me. Like as I first entered this industry to be like, I love it here. And I want to stay in Florida in general. It wasn't always just South Florida, but I was like, you know what? I want to build something in areas that I know. I want to be in the places that I want to be. I want to, you know, and I'll, I'll pay my dues to make it happen. And so I, you know, stuck around here and now I'm getting a little bit of a chance to, to, to do a bit more. Um, and it's just so cool to get to be down here in South Florida. And so, I, I mean, I have that show in large part to thank uh, in a lot of different ways, more than one. You do good work, so like like I said Thanks. in the open, everything you do is uh, is quality, and uh, anyone would be would be blessed to have you as part of their team. No uh, thanks. <laughs> I don't like taking compliments, but thank you. Well, you're you're going to get them from this group, yeah, except for thanks. maybe Flynn. Yeah, Hello, Jeremy. <laughs> thanks, man. So next, congrats to Aaron. Are you in your truck or are you in your home? I'm, I'm in Missis- I'm in Mississippi. All right. It's the South. Mississippi. From the South. Yeah. 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 All right. So I'm going to keep mine short and simple. So when you were a kid, what would you have given up to have been able to shag balls at a home run derby? Oh, man. Everything. I, that was a, that was a, you know, what's weird. You know, what's weird about my brain is that when I watched the home run derby kid and, and eventually into like, you know, preteen and teenage years. And I thought about like the home run derby and the all-star game and all of that stuff. What I always thought to myself was I would give anything to shag balls at the home run derby and then play in the celebrity softball game. All I've ever wanted ever in my whole life is to be the level of fame that can play in the celebrity softball game, which is not that high. There are plenty of people that I have never heard of every single year in the celebrity softball game. So it's just, it's, it feels like an achievable level of fame, which I think is why it's such a tease. Uh, but as a kid, when, especially because when, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, it was the steroid era and it was all of these incredible home run hitters. And so, you know, especially when I was like a little kid and you had McGuire and Bonds and Sosa and Griffey and all these guys in the home run derby. I mean, that was the dream and ironically the first the first home run derby that i remember it's 99 at fenway park right 99 was fenway park i believe that was the year that they like drove out ted williams and he was like looked like he was dead already but he wasn't dead yet and it was really weird martinez shut down everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was, yeah, that all-star game and that home run derby. I remember watching like Mark and Sammy launching balls over the green monster. I was four years old and I was like, I want to be out there. Not thinking like I'd be dead if I was on that field anywhere near one of those baseballs. But to this day, if they told me next year, hey, it's going to be in Miami. And instead of covering it, do you want to shag fly balls? I would say 1000% no questions asked. I would rather shag fly balls at the home run derby than interview the winner. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. No, I, I was, I was, uh, I guess I was like 14 when it finally came to St. Louis and I was still mm-hmm. like 
scouring the internet trying to figure out how the hell to get myself on the field. One thousand percent. Yeah, I was doing that every. Yeah, forever. Do you think it was? If you don't think it was, I was doing the same thing in college. Like, of course. That's great. Uh, well, well, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Hope you have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Aaron. Liked your question. Thanks, man. Thank you very much, Aaron. Next, we're gonna go out to Murph. Good evening, Jeremy. What's hey, the, hey. What's your What's the favorite part about uh, your new job with That's Valley a- Sports? That's a really good question. Thank you for asking. Um, honestly, it's having uh, creative input in a way that I haven't before. Um, what's really cool, I mean, so it's cool and not so cool. I really like being involved in a team. Um, and there's a lot of team efforts going on within what we're doing at Bally. But also, for the first time ever, I've had the chance to just sort of create content just for myself. I've always been the producer and the co-host of the podcast that I work on. I've always been a producer behind the scenes at the TV station I was working at. And so now, you know, when I do breakfast to Jeremy's in the morning, you know, the little recap show that I do um, after Marlins games or heat games or whatever, it's all my jokes. It's all my sense of humor. It's all my sensibilities and literally no one tells me to do otherwise. And that's really fun um, because to be able to kind of, and maybe this isn't the case for everybody, but I have uh, really specifically heard Katie Nolan talk about this. And I, I, I so appreciate, like, I, I love her. Uh, I think that she's so important in this media space. Like I just, I, yeah, I, her, I don't know if, if, if none of you have listened uh, a couple weeks ago, she did a podcast where she was supposed to have a guest and she didn't. Uh, and I listened to it and I broke down crying and it was like, it was a whole thing. Like she's, I just, her vulnerability um, is what's so impressive to me. And she has talked about how sometimes this industry is a lot of like putting yourself out there um, when you're front facing, when you're on camera or when you're hosting a podcast. And it's not just putting yourself out there for the ridicule of like, oh, you look fat or your hair doesn't look good or whatever like that. It's the ridicule of, your thoughts weren't good. That thing that you came up with in your brain, I don't like it. And there's something very vulnerable about sharing your thoughts with people. So when you're Stephen A and you're sort of playing up like a really hyped up character of who you actually are, it's a little easier to deliver those takes because there's a little less vulnerability because it's a little more of a character. But right now for me, a lot of what I'm doing is super authentically me. And it's very much just like, this is how I watched that game. And this is how I want to tell you about it. And so the joy in that is sort of giving people my thoughts. And so much of it has been a pretty positive response. And now getting to like talk with fans who are DMing me about my thoughts on XYZ game or telling me that my profile picture on Twitter made them feel good because I have a going to therapy is cool sweatshirt on the little bit of like, Oh, there's kind of some fandom happening. And it's because it's like me authentically just showing people how I view these games. It's such an unbelievably rewarding feeling. I love it. And it's, I don't think that that part of this will ever get old. I think there's other parts of this industry that can get old, but I think like, Something I've learned really quickly is as long as I'm doing this authentically as myself, I think that it's going to feel 
it's just going to feel like good and bad, but it's going to make me feel something. And that's all I really care to have is just feel something, you know, that's, that's what you want out of life is to feel like that, the ups and the downs. And, and so the vulnerability of putting yourself out there can feel amazing when people are saying it's great. And eventually when people start telling me how shitty I am, you know, it's going to come, it'll happen. I probably, it has to, uh, if I, if I keep doing well in this, like eventually there's going to be people that don't like me. Um, and so when that happens, I'm sort of looking forward to the trials and tribulations of that as well. Not just send them my way. When that happens, <laughs> they, they come just send them my way. Jason. Oh my God. That was great. Thanks. Guys. Can't, can't just like Jeremy. He's such a sweet. Uh, thanks. So Jeremy, just to play off that a little bit, do you want to talk about your sort of new announcement? Sure. Yeah. So I'll say it here an hour and 15 minutes into this. Uh, yeah, so um, Bally Sports Florida is uh, building me my own podcast. Um, Congratulations. So, thanks. So, Congratulations. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I don't Woo. know. So when is this going to come out? Um, you tell us if, uh, if this isn't supposed to come out. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's fine. Days, hopefully. Yeah, in the next couple of days. So, like, I'm not going to give every last detail because i don't know like what's gonna like i just want to make sure that the teams that we're like partnered with like no before mm -hmm. you know everybody in the world and i'm tweeting it or whatever um as he burps off mic uh but yeah, yeah uh, is getting going podcast yeah no. no you got oh it would be i think it would be hilarious i this might be wait this might be a good bit that we're gonna flesh out right here but i might like when i find out whenever it is that i can officially announce it maybe i'll like give you guys like a hey at five minutes before you can have the scoop type deal yes. like Absolutely. we can make the joke out of, all right we'll we'll come up with it when i find out when i'm officially gonna post something but nonetheless uh yes scoop spammy um, yeah it'll be oh my god it'd be so funny this would be great this would be really fun i'm into it um but nonetheless uh yeah we're building out a podcast with valley sports florida i'm so 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 excited um I'll tell you the name. It's going to be called Miami Miked Up with Jeremy Taché. Uh, and so the entire premise, um, obviously, with Valley Sports Florida, we're partnered with the Marlins, the Heat, and the Panthers. Um, so the hope would be that every week we will have an interview with a player from one of those teams, hopefully. Uh, I'm not going to guarantee that right off the bat, but the hope is an interview every week with a player from across South Florida and an interview with an analyst. So sometimes that's going to be, you know, our Bally Sports Florida analyst. Sometimes that'll be someone like Paul Severino, who's our play-by-play -play guy for the Marlins, um, who's done some work with MLB Network, and that'll be great. But other times, um, I'll have some folks, hopefully, you know, either from, God, if they say yes, like the Levitard world, you know, um, but other analysts from sort of across this sphere that I, I've started reaching out to, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I just couldn't be more excited and I'm hoping that this will just be a place for us to like have fun and get to know some of these players more in a real way. Like I don't, I don't really want to talk to them about baseball all the time or basketball or whatever it is. I'm hoping that this can be a space once I get to know some of them on a more personal level that, you know, we can just have fun and chat. Can, can I make a suggestion for an episode? Hell yeah. Billy Gill. Home run call getting swallowed and by just, Dan. So I don't know if it's yeah. So and, I don't know if you need to get both of them or and, one of them, but it's kind of like um, and you know the oral history of the moment. Oh, I'm in. That's 
that is a great the oral history of the moment is a really good idea that would be fun oh man if i could get them to do that with me that's like that's like a like it's gonna be a lofty goal to get both but i need <laughs> both of them right like that's like a, you need both of them to do it i might be able to We'll see if I can swing it at some point. We might have to establish this thing a little bit first. It might not be at the beginning, but I like this idea because an oral history of that moment would be pretty hilarious considering where the Marlins are at now. Like, it's all so different now from what it was then, too. Don't That's forget, fun. it's 90-10 my way, so. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> I Understandably. Yeah, any play. Yeah, but I'm I'm super excited. And honestly, like, I mean this in a, in a very serious way. Uh I really don't, not a lot of this would be happening without you guys uh, because, no, I mean it because Get honestly, I mean it, I mean it because you guys have supported me very much from the beginning, not only through giving me like confidence to go forward with those things, but also like truthfully giving a platform to be able to talk and to put when you guys have constantly lifted me to the point where you're like, Hey, you and June Lee or you and, you know, Jeff's Jeff Passon's going to be on. We want you to come on and talk with him. Like you guys have constantly put me in position to feel equal to some people who have legitimately been way above me. And for that, I'm very appreciative because it's, it's certainly helped me flesh a lot of this out. And I think has given me a little bit of like the weird little cloud on Twitter that I have from some Twitter followers. So well, thank you. That's awesome. Jer Jeremy, like, dude, you have, been with us from the very beginning mm -hmm. i think this is your 1374th <laughs> appearance yeah um but dude, sorry we, for everyone who doesn't want to hear from me anymore like we're an hour and a half into this bullshit no, who cares? We, we, we we love you man and I love you just, too we're well, just so so stoked for you yeah Thank i know you. We're, we're super happy and on that note though like when you said you were the original one here and you've done a lot for us my first time talking to you, you compared yourself to John Mulaney, so I don't think you can do that. One. <laughs> walk that back. So All right, you know what? You're back. right. That's hilarious. You're right. You're right. Are you right? I'm done. You're right. I no humbleness here, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm super excited, and yeah, we should. I mean, theoretically, I mean, there's no like official launch date, but this this. I'm telling you guys now, and like within the next few days, you're gonna start seeing like imaging and stuff like that uh, that'll start popping up. So, um, I'm, I like, cannot believe we we've built out, like there's a whole studio, like it's gonna like on camera. It's like real, like it's, I cannot begin to explain how insane it feels that there is real stuff being built around me and it just doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm here for it. I'm riding the wave. I'm enjoying it. And I'm just appreciating the opportunity. So it should be fun. It goes back to your authenticity. Everybody from from, day, from the first time you joined us, we can tell that you're you're out there, you're smart, you're intelligent, but you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and talk about topics that everyone wants to talk about. And you know, it comes through in what you do, both for us <laughs> and breakfast at Jeremy's. I mean, it's thank you. You can't, you can't watch <laughs> what you do. I, I understand you hate this, but we yeah. can't watch no, no, what you do and not see authenticity that you even talked about a couple minutes ago. So. Well, thank you, and I it means a lot. It really does. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so stoked. So I'm sorry to have like derailed the conversation with all of this, like no, self grandizing. Perfect ending. Uh, we, but like yeah, you said, I we took an to... hour and 15 minutes to let you plug something. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm, yeah, it'll be fun. No, it'll be so fun. Like I, I can't, um, and honestly, like if you like, I mean this very seriously, I know this is going to be South Florida niche, you know, south florida sports talk but some of you guys have already been exposed to some of that through the local hour over the years so 
if you would be so kind as to, you know, subscribe and listen whenever it does come. And I'm happy for all of your guys' hijinks. So anytime you have fun, silly ideas, please DM me with them because I am going to be a barren wasteland of thought. Uh, so please feel free to be my shadow producers. Your DM's going to explode, especially from... Yep. I'm seriously, any of you, anybody listening, you have fun ideas, just send me something because I am like... I am stretched to my limit. So any of you listening right now, feel free to DM me with your silliest ideas for South Florida sports talk. Yeah. It's also like, like you, you, you should really look into those, uh, Viore shorts that I was, uh, <laughs> DMing you about if yeah. they want to sponsor us, uh, we're more than happy. So, okay. Oh. We'll, we'll mention those again. You want to, you want to spell it out for the people so that oh, they know what they were. V U O R I. If you want some nice short, Jeremy was looking for some nice five inch, you know, inseam shorts not too yep. long ago. And I was just like, yo, check these out. I really like them. I'm wearing some right now. Highly recommended if Show they want us. to sponsor us. Shout out, Jeff. Jeff, let's see the leg. Bring it up. Come on. JT, I had you as a George guy. You're not doing George yet. Oh, wow. You know, it's That's oh, those look great on you. I wish that everyone had the visual. I'm so sorry that that you oh, guys don't. Will, I'm don't hoping oh, someone has they the will. screenshot or the recording. Okay, cool. Thank oh, goodness. Yeah. They will. Um, yeah, I uh, I I was a jorts guy um, in like college, and um, I've I'm trying. I'm going through a major quarter life crisis where I basically looked at my closet and went, I don't like any of it. Like, I don't know what to do. Uh, and was like, I don't know how to dress at 26. And uh, I'm just panicking about my wardrobe. So I asked the internet to help me and they came through. Everybody, literally everyone was so nice. I thought I was, again, there's so many times where I think I'm going to tweet something that's going to get me bullied. And then everyone's so nice. And then I wonder if the internet is actually a nice place. And then I very quickly am reminded that it's not. But sometimes... Sometimes I get I get the fleeting nice internet and it's it's a lot of the time it comes from you guys and it's really wonderful. Yes, Flum said then I tweet. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we're going to land the plane here. Thank Perfect. you again Jeremy for joining us. Go ahead and plug all your social medias that you want to. Yes, so follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Tache. That's T A C H E, the most pretentious way that you can possibly spell Tache. Um, the little accent mark is in the display name, but not in the handle. Uh, and yeah, everything that you guys will find from me will be there. Um, breakfast to Jeremy's is the main thing right now. The next episode will be, uh, Saturday morning. So if this is out by then, cool. If not, there'll be another one soon. Uh, but breakfast to Jeremy's happening two, three times a week right now. That's on Twitter. Um, and then, and, or Instagram or wherever. Uh, Facebook. And then, um, yeah, I mean, coming soon, there will be this podcast wherever you get podcasts. So that's going to be fun. Can't wait. Should be cool. Great review. And yeah. so everyone, can I get a quick thank you, Jeremy? One, two, three. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Love much, you, JT. Okay. You guys are the Love best. Thank you. Everybody stare at each other. All right, cool. I just wasn't sure if you wanted to stop the recording.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.